Hello and welcome to Foundation Stones from Refuge City Church. Having a solid foundation for our walk with Jesus Christ is vital for every Christian, especially in the times we live in. Through God's word, candid conversations, and everyday application, the aim is to help you build your foundation so you can stand strong for God every day. Buckle in and prepare your heart. Pray this, God, ready my heart for your truth that I might be more like you. We hope today's episode empowers you to grow in your walk with Jesus. Let's dive in. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's the doxology. I'm sure you've heard it before. You've likely sung it. Four powerful phrases put to music that have stood the test of time and are beloved by generations the world over across denominational and cultural lines. These powerful lyrics, they were written by a man named Thomas Ken as the final stanza of three different hymns that he published for worship times for students of Winchester College at Oxford University in the 1600s. Hi, my name is Jim Weaver. I'm your host for Foundation Stones, and today I want to talk about something that I have not been able to get off of my heart. Maybe it's because I'm a worshiper, a worship leader, but I think most likely the Holy Spirit is working something in me that I believe that he wants to share with you, and it's this idea, this understanding of doxology. Doxology. Listen to this history about this song, the song that we know as doxology, and We're not going to do a deep dive into the song itself. It's literally the title of what the song is. But listen to this history. It will intrigue you as it did me. David Mathis, executive editor from DesiringGod.org, writes this. He says, Ken, speaking of the author, Thomas Ken, who was an Anglican minister, royal chaplain, and eventually bishop, first penned verses for his students at Winchester to sing upon arising in the morning and at bedtime each evening. Later, he added a third hymn to rehearse at midnight, were students to have trouble sleeping. Each hymn was a confession of faith and an invocation of divine blessing, tailored to its particular moment of the day. And each hymn ended with the same 25-word doxological verse in praise of God, three in one. Thomas Ken's hymns have by no means been lost today. However, it is his final verse, Our Beloved Doxology, that has endured. So well known is it that it needs no placeholder in our hymn books. Christians the world over simply know it, almost without fail. Both Ken's timeless words and the tune, which Ken did not write, but which much later began to accompany the song. The tune, called Old 100th, originally designed to accompany the singing of Psalm 134 and later Psalm 100, first appeared in the Geneva Psalter in 1551 and was written by Louise Bourgeois. Again, that was from David Mathis, the executive editor from DesiringGod.org. I want you to notice something, however, about the title of that song, the word that I'm using today called doxology. And interestingly, it doesn't appear in these lyrics in the song at all. It simply is the title of the song, but the word is never sung. And this is because doxology is a description of what this song is in its use as worship But this description can be used for many things we do in our relationship with God in order to honor him. In fact, the word doxology from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary is defined this way. It's a usually liturgical expression of praise to God. 
So recently, as I was reading the Bible, my attention was drawn to this word doxology because of its use as a header, something that describes a segment of scripture. It seemed to me like the couple of sentences that followed the header were out of place in a way. It was almost like the author got temporarily distracted from his line of thinking and had a praise moment of source before he re-entered his previous thought and continued his line of thinking. I can imagine the writers carrying on in their script, suddenly stopping short, cupping their chin in thought, and then writing down something they were thankful to God for. Have you ever stepped outside into a parking lot and looked straight up in the air? (laughs) Everyone around you will also stop and look up as well, because as humans, we're so used to looking laterally at life. Circumstances, responsibilities, challenges, sometimes in our relationships, that we don't often look up. Just like when someone looks straight up into the sky, humans around us will join us in looking up to God when we do. When we lift our eyes to the transcendent, first of all, our heart will be refreshed, but the eyes of everyone else will be lifted up as well. Just recently, I was with my daughter. We were driving by someone's yard in a subdivision, and we noticed a couple of snowmen had been built out in the front yard, and my daughter got to giggling because she noticed that the carrot that was used for the note was actually on the top of one of the snowman's heads, and it looked like the snowman was looking straight up in the air. And we started laughing together. I said, hey, you know what, Lene? That actually reminds me of what I'm going to be talking about in the podcast, talking about doxology, talking about transcendence, talking about looking up. You see, when I say that we can lift our eyes to the transcendent, what does that mean? It's not some New Age mystic terminology as it's sometimes hijacked to mean. Transcendent has a very simple definition. Out of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, transcendent means, one, superior to or going beyond the usual, or two, going beyond the limits of ordinary experience. That's transcendent. Basically, in a nutshell, it means that we look up out of our circumstances to something that is extraordinary and not simply ordinary. So think about it. As a Christian, a believer in the God of the Bible, with our salvation rooted in relationship with Jesus Christ, we look to our amazing God who is superior, beyond the usual, and beyond the limits of ordinary experience. God is amazing, and he wants us to look up as often as possible so we can keep him in our undistracted view. It's in these moments that we get our eyes off of the temporal and the material, and we lift our eyes to gaze on his glory. Because God is eternal, while the things around us are temporary. God is all-powerful, while the things around us are very limited. And God is full of grace, mercy, kindness, and forgiveness. While the world around us is dark, it's cold, and it's merciless. So when you come across a praise break in scripture, it's called a doxology. It's a moment when the writer stopped his thoughts so he could call our attention to the majesty of God. It's a call to lift our eyes up and gaze on the beauty and power of God so that the troubles of earth don't steal our eternal victory. So to me, it's even noteworthy to observe when an author stops a thought for a praise break in scripture. In the case of Apostle Paul, I noticed two different moments that he'll usually pause his thought for a doxology. It seems to occur either one, when Paul writes something especially revelatory that should blow our minds, or two, when Paul gets extra deep and theological. 
Both of these places are significant to me. First of all, we should always have a childlike awe of God's power and wisdom. And second of all, we should never let our earthly religious knowledge cause us to be enamored by our own intelligence at the expense of worshiping the God who created the knowledge in the first place. You see, the more we know, the more amazed at God we should be. We shouldn't be amazed at ourselves. Intellectual revelation should never glorify a man, but it should cause us to worship God as the source of all knowledge to begin with. So what I'd like to do today is take a look at a few of the doxologies you might find in Scripture. And chances are good that you've read these doxologies and might not have caught what they actually were. Let's look at this first one together, Romans chapter 11. Let's look at verse 33. We'll read to verse 36. It says this, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So let me give you a background of this doxology. This doxology came right after Paul described that God opened up salvation to the Gentiles by allowing us to be grafted into the olive branch that is the Jewish people. He's taking a praise break to honor God for his wisdom that brought forgiveness and salvation to all mankind and not just to the Hebrew people. This was a direct fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 when he told him that all the nations would be blessed through Abraham's line and through Abraham's faith. Paul, even as the teacher, is declaring, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Even as Paul taught this revelation, his own mind was being blown by the goodness of God. And the only appropriate response was a doxology, a moment where we lift our eyes, a moment of doxology. Let's look at another doxology. This one is found in the book of Jude. It's one chapter long, and the last two verses of this book are a doxology. Let's look at verse 24 and 25. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So think about this. Jude is just one simple chapter long, but it's a chapter that packs a punch. To summarize it, Jude's warning the church against false teachers and the strategies of Satan to derail believers, and he's calling the church to persevere in the midst of trials. And at the very end, he says the phrase, now to him, to him who is able to help us be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority from beginning to end. You see, Jude is calling his readers to lift their attention to the only one who can help them do the very thing that he is admonishing them to do in this book. Notice how the wording here is like someone pointing up to the sky and saying, hey, look up there. A doxology points our attention up to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So I'd like to point out a few observations that I've been making about the doxologies of Scripture. And if you take note, you might notice the same things. First thing I noticed is that a doxology is an interruption to our normal every day to give God glory. 
A doxology is an interruption of our normal day-to-day life in order to give God glory. Have you ever noticed that our lives can take on a monotony and a predictability over time that lulls us to sleep? So yeah, routines are great, but spontaneity causes refreshing. I get up at the same time every morning, I sit in the same chair, I have two cups of coffee, I read my Bible, I get myself ready for the day and choose one of about seven different shirts that I own to wear during the day. I take the same route to the office, I do very predictable things in the office, I go to the gym during lunchtime, I prepare for services and events that are on the same day of the week, every week and start at the same time of the day, every day. I come home the same way I drove in, I get in the same bed I left in the morning, I sleep the night away and then I start again the next morning. Again, nothing wrong with that. But in my predictability, I have a tendency to miss the move of God, the miraculous and the transcendent, the things that are above me, the things that are connected to the move of God. And even when God works something out for my personal benefit, I can either miss it entirely or shrug my shoulders in entitlement as if saying, "Eh, it's about time, God. And I've learned that we can take God for granted. So one day, Jesus fed a multitude of thousands with a little boy's lunch of fish and loaves. It was a spectacular miracle. It was obviously supernatural. The people were thrilled, but not because of who Jesus was. They were enthralled with what he did. It caused them to pursue the signs and wonders and miss the why of what Jesus was doing for them. They got a spirit of entitlement thinking they just needed Jesus to snap his fingers so they could have another supernatural meal. Let's pick up this story in John chapter 6. Let's look at verse 24. It says, So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because these are the same people who had just seen the multitudes fed the day before, and they're asking Jesus for a sign to confirm that he is supernatural. What an amazing request they're making here. They've already seen his glory, and now they're asking him to reveal it again, not because they want Jesus, but because they want the things that Jesus can do. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. Okay, so it's an interesting segment of scripture for me to reference when it comes to a doxology. But what I want to point out to you is that Jesus was calling this crowd to lift their eyes to God. Get your eyes off the bread. Get your eyes off yourself. 
lift your eyes to the true bread, Jesus Christ. You see, this crowd desperately needed a doxology. They needed to acknowledge Jesus as the recipient of glory, not just his works. So the crowd knew it was Jesus, but got their eyes on the miracle itself, and this stole their doxology. You see, another struggle that our human flesh has is that we can get stuck in the self, and we can miss God altogether. Another example, one day Jesus was approached by ten lepers from Samaria. These men had a few strikes against him, which added to the profundity of the miracle Jesus did for them. First of all, they were lepers. Leprosy was an incurable disease in the days of Jesus. If someone had it, it was a death sentence. It was also contagious, which means they were not permitted to be near healthy people. The second strike against them is that they were Samaritans, a group of people Jews did not associate with because of religious and cultural differences. Culturally, there wouldn't have been a second thought for Jesus to have ignored these men for these very reasons, but Jesus wasn't okay with this. Jesus stopped and he healed these 10 men in spite of the physical reasons why he shouldn't have. Let's pick this story up in Luke chapter 17. Look at verse 11 with me. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So, with the ostracization of these men, one would think they'd have been overwhelmed with gratitude toward Jesus for the healing they had just received. But out of ten people, get this, only one of them recognized where his healing had come from and stopped to give thanks. One man out of ten gave a doxology, a moment of praise where he lifted his eyes up to the one who healed him. The other men were stuck on themselves. They'd been healed, yes, but all they could think about was getting on with life, maybe getting back to their families and careers, while one man stopped long enough to give thanks. He offered a doxology. Verse 16, it says, He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. I want to look at another doxology that gets our eyes out of the temporal and the normal and back on God. This doxology comes at the end of Romans. Romans being an amazing book declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul takes this praise break right before he ends this letter. But I want you to notice in his doxology who is able to strengthen us. Look at Romans 16. We'll look at verse 25 through 27. Paul the apostle writes this to the Roman church. He says, Now to Him, who is Him? Him is God Almighty. Now to Him, who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith 
to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) I love it. Paul is saying, hey, you want to know where all the power of transformation in our lives comes from? It's to the one who was able to strengthen us according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's pointing the Roman church back to the source of their strengthening. It's not Paul. It's not Paul's intellect. It's not Paul's prominence. It's not the teaching. It's not the church. It is God Almighty. He's pointing them in a doxology back to giving glory to God. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever been self-reliant? Have you ever been so determined to do everything yourself because it's much easier in your mind to control the situation more than to surrender to God? I think it's important for us to recognize that a doxology is a reminder to surrender control to God. It's a reminder to surrender control to God. When you're in the deep throes of trials and struggles, it's very easy to see only the immediate crisis right in front of you. What hammer will fall next? What conflict will arise? What fires will I have to put out? You see, it's not very easy to have a long-term vision when you're dealing with a short-term forest fire. But I want you to look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 121. Verse 1, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Catch that first verse. I lift up my eyes. It's a doxology. I have a transcendent view. I have a view of the extraordinary instead of the ordinary, and my heart is captivated by his glory. You see, a doxology becomes our discipline of always returning praise to God and always acknowledging God as our source of help. It's his power that will sustain us, and it's his glory that will be revealed. Anything and everything that is in any way good in us is all to his credit and not to ours. James 1.17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is something so incredibly liberating about stopping in the middle of our crisis, looking to heaven, acknowledging God is sovereign and good, and thanking him for meeting us in our moment of need. It's like a breath of fresh air for our soul and for our spirit. Psalm 61, verse 1, it says, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. In fact, in the New King James Version, it says, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When is a doxology appropriate? It's appropriate when God has met you and you're thankful and when you need God to meet you in the middle of your overwhelm. Praise isn't just for the victory. Praise is needed in the battle, in the darkness, in the not yet. 
in the moment where our heart is overwhelmed and we cry out to the Lord in worship and dependence. Because truly, friends, a doxology is a reminder to look to Jesus instead of anything else. To look to Jesus instead of anything else. In our world of relative ease and ready answers, we tend to look for physical solutions and man-made intellect, but we need to remember that this world is not our source. The economy is not our answer. Our own effort and work falls short. Our relationships pale in comparison to Him. Our intelligence compared to God's eternal mind is laughable at best. But yet, we insist on making our own Tower of Babel. We'll make our own way. We'll get stuck in a dead end and then feel like God has abandoned us. But daily doxologies will serve to keep us grounded in the truth that we can do nothing without God. Doxologies lift our eyes up so we're looking at the right things. I want us to take a look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to look at the first three verses of Hebrews 12. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we look unto Jesus, this is toxology. Look up. Glorify God. And make sure you are regularly interrupted with the goodness of God. Let's not be impressed with ourselves. Let's not be overwhelmed by our circumstances. Let's daily look for moments of doxology where our heart of gratitude and surrender overflow and our eyes stay fixed on Jesus. This will work a victory into our lives that could only be described as supernatural. So in Paul's introductory thoughts, to his spiritual son, Timothy, in the book of 1 Timothy, he seamlessly moves into a doxology that sets a standard of perspective for his young protege. Look at this doxology. This is 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. It says this in just one verse, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Doxology is glory given to God Almighty. He deserves it. Give God your daily doxology and feel the fresh presence of God in your life. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us next time for another deep dive into the foundation stones of our faith in Jesus Christ. For more information about Refuge City Church or to join our giving team to keep the gospel of Jesus Christ moving forward and making resources like this podcast available into the future, visit refugecity.church.